left corner to Aguila. Aguila to the left circle. Passing to Yell. A shot. Save made by Yell. Aguila. Three bounds. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Okay, we are underway on this Wednesday, February 28th. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio with Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. And uh, we've got ourselves a good hour planned. Hello, Mr. Gilbertson. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing well. I, uh, You know what? I'm just really quite impressed with the team that we cover. I really am. Uh, they just, uh, on, on this Wednesday, they wrapped up a practice at Windsport. Obviously couldn't practice at the Saddledome on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, because the Calgary Hitmen were playing their Be Brave game. And so Flames were out at Windsport. And I just, as, a, as I was watching that practice and, um, and, and doing some media, I just it, it just kind of hit me that, okay, February's done. The win over the LA Kings, a 4-2 win over LA, another impressive win. That wraps up the month of February. They played 10 games in the month of February, won seven of them. Overall, they've actually won eight of their last 11, but I kind of don't count the first one. It was the Phoenix one, which I wasn't very impressed with. No, I'm sorry, the Chicago one, rather, which I wasn't very impressed with. They went into the All-Star break after that, and, and since the All-Star break is the stretch that I have been uh, kind of most impressed with and the stretch that I have been evaluating the most. And in those 10 games where they've won seven, they've played two stinkers, uh, San Jose lost and a Detroit lost. The other loss was a decent effort against the New York Rangers and then seven wins in there. And in all seven of the wins, they've been deserving and looked really good. And so I was just thinking about it, sitting there at Winsport by myself as the, as the players are starting to filter onto the ice. Like, there is no question that this is the best stretch that this team has had in almost two years in my eyes. Because, and, and, and maybe you disagree, but we're talking about an eighth of a season over a 10-game stretch. And obviously, no point this season have they looked this good. And honestly, at no point last season did they put together a stretch of 10 games where I just looked at them and said, damn, they look like a really good hockey team. And they look like a group that absolutely could be a playoff team. And I know that the playoff, that that word is is kind of a four-letter word for some people right now because of the, the limbo land the Flames find themselves in. But let's just take this trade speculation away. We've spent enough time talking about that the first two days of this week. So let's just take that away as much as we can for the sake of this conversation. Wes, these guys look legit. And the last time that I've felt over a stretch this long, an entire calendar month, albeit the shortest one of the year, but an, uh, an entire calendar month, the last time I felt like, damn, these guys look legit, was the 21-22 season when they obviously did what they did, had one of their best regular seasons ever. I know that they're fighting uphill. I know they still have a hole to dig out of. I know they're still five points out of a playoff spot, and I know that there's a decent chance they'll miss the playoffs this year just based on the way the season is gone. But if you're looking at the month of February, they look like a legit hockey team right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just going to be splitting hairs here, but for me, it's the best stretch since October of 22. 
Like they they do come out of last season or sorry, they do come out of the gates at the start five of last one. season. Yeah. Five and one. I think five and two then with a, a really hard fought game against Edmonton. And so I like that stretch as well. But I think what makes this stretch so impressive is we didn't necessarily see it coming. There there was positives, uh, you know, both by the eye test or or by analytics or or just in the assessment that you were hearing from head coach Ryan Huska. But it's like this group just refuses to accept and good on them that everyone else has them counted out. And, and yes, I, I think the, you know, the popular opinion is still pessimism and, and there's a lot of reasons to believe that the Calgary flames maybe can't maintain the way they're playing right now. But whether you're talking, you know, whether you're a fan who is still hoping that this team can sneak into a playoff spot, whether you're a fan who just wants to see some positive building blocks for the future, you know, you're concerned about what the culture might look like moving forward. I, I think you can be on either side of that coin for me and and really be encouraged by what you've seen. And, and I understand that there is a, a segment who are going to be ticked off after every win because they just want the highest draft position possible. Yep. And, and hey, that's fine. All the power to you. You can't expect that to sort of seep into the locker room. You, you certainly, if it does seep into the locker room, you have a lot bigger cause for concern. And I, I just think the Calgary Flames deserve such full marks for the sort of pushback both season and in game that we we've seen out of them yeah. lately. And and every time every time you're ready to count them out again, right? They right before the All-Star break, they play like four or five really mediocre to not even mediocre games at home. Okay. They're they got to be done, right? Well, they come out of the bye and look like world beaters against the Boston Bruins, win 3 in a row, have another good game to cap that road trip, even if they don't get the results. Then they come home and, and they have a couple duds and you think, okay, the, the shines come off a little bit. Well, look at them now. And, and yes, I, I know that they've taken advantage of some tired teams, but they just beat four legitimate hockey teams back to back to back to back. Yep. And I'm with you. I, I'm impressed. I, I'm really impressed. The um okay, so it's the the record is great at seven and three. Um and and there's obviously we like to see that. But it's not just the results either. Like it's the results to me, like there's still a lot of randomness that goes into results. Like the Flames could have easily lost the Boston game, or they could have easily lost the LA game just based on if if something doesn't quite go according to plan or if you know, something goes off a skate and goes one inch to the right as opposed to one inch to the left. But there's still a lot of randomness that goes into it. But the way they're playing and the consistency in which they're playing from period to period in game and then from game to game in a 10-game stretch is the thing that's impressed me the most. So since the All-Star break, the Flames have played those 10 games. They are seventh overall in five-on-five -five shot rate or possession rate. Corsi 4, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're 52.2% by that metric. They are the 12th best team in the NHL by expected goals at just over 52%. They are the 8th best team in overall team save percentage. Those are playoff numbers. Those aren't, 
elite numbers. Those aren't like Stanley Cup contender playoff numbers or anything like that, but those are playoff team numbers over a 10-game stretch. And and this is the way that I would put it is that in the 10 games, they have looked like a playoff team. They have looked like a group that's, yeah, I could see that team being a playoff team. If that was the team that we had also seen, again, take the results and throw the results out for a second. If we had seen them played this type of consistent hockey in January and December and November, I think the conversation surrounding this team would be a whole lot different because of the consistency, because of their ability to stick with it, all that type of stuff. So I don't know what is going to happen in the final 23 games here. I don't know if it's going to be enough for, if if they're going to have enough rather to be able to reel in Nashville or LA, who are now both five points ahead of them in this playoff conversation. They still have a lot to make up for, and there's still a lot of hockey left, and there's still a lot of uncertainty in terms of what this roster is going to look at. Their playoff odds over at Money Puck, even with this fourth consecutive win, are at 13.2% at their last projection. That's the raw facts of where they are right now. But I've just been, I, I, I think regardless of how this plays out and regardless of what the final 23 games hold and what the next nine days until the trade deadline hold, I just think you got to salute them and say that they've played some of their best hockey in a long, long, whether it was October of 2022 or April of 2022, it's been 18 months-ish yeah. until we have, since we have seen hockey played at this level from a flame standpoint. I give him a lot of credit for it. Do me a favor, buddy, because I'm curious about this, and hopefully that means at least one other person's curious about it. Would you pull up those money puck odds? Because I, I, I'd love to hear where they have the rest of the Western Conference wildcard race. So uh, this was as of Wednesday morning, uh, and this is just one um, This is just one projection set. Yeah. There are a few others. Stathlis has theirs. A few others have some playoff projections. That is like the ease of the way money puck plays it out. This includes expected goals, strength of opposition, the team as it is right now. It does not factor in what the team might look like, but it factors in, you know, who they've got still to come, the way they've played so far, some predictive measures, all that type of stuff. So of the teams in the playoff race in the Western Conference will eliminate Arizona because they're done. Right now, if it's LA in the one wild card all the way down to St. Louis, who would be the, the last team in this mix. From the bottom up, they've got St. Louis at a 6.5% chance to make the playoffs. Calgary next at 13.2%, followed by Minnesota at 14%, and Seattle at 17.1%. So Seattle, Minnesota, Calgary, all very close. Right. St. Louis has the least or, or, or the lowest odds, and then it's a big jump up to Nashville, currently holding down the number two wild card. They are 65.3%. L.A. King still at 91.1%. Okay. Um, and that's, again, just the one model yeah. over at Money Puck. Interesting. Really interesting. And, and listen, that that number illustrates it. You said it earlier. This this is still this is still quite a hill to climb for the Calgary Flames, and that's without taking into account that you're going to have a couple of very significant roster subtractions next week. This is a a big hill to climb, but the fact that they've sort of hung in there the way they have and the fact that they're playing their best hockey in 18 plus months, as you said, 
they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I think what's probably the most encouraging if you're sitting in one of the offices at the Saddle Dome or, you know, for a fan of the team, like, how many days, buddy, have we sat on Flames Talk and said, geez, if, if they could get more out of this guy or, or how do they get this guy going or, or, geez, what an underwhelming stretch so-and-so has had. Like, who's, who's not going for the Flames right now, yeah. right? We can talk about Andre Kuzmenko, who's now missed the last two games due to illness, about maybe where he fits in, in the lineup. Is that a little bit of a, a conundrum for the Flames? Yes, absolutely. He's a guy who's probably not going the way they need him to. But, you know, beyond that, we're, we see Jonathan Huberto producing at a, a point-per-game clip. He, he has a great shot on the power play in the early stages. It should have been one nothing a couple minutes or a few minutes into that game. Cam Talbot makes a great save on Huberto. Obviously fires the puck on net that turns into the Blake Coleman goal for an assist last night. So you've got Jonathan Huberto, who's been sort of one of the most popular targets of criticism. He He's going. Andrew Mangiapane, who's run hot and cold for stretches of this season, has strung together a lot of really solid hockey games. He scores on a gorgeous deke last night in his 400th career game. I'm not going to go through the whole roster, but you can look at the guys who were underperforming and it's like, geez, you know, and man, that guy's playing some good hockey right now. And then you look at the guys who we wondered if they could possibly maintain it, right? Can Blake Coleman keep scoring like this? Well, turns out maybe he can, right? Can, can Nazem Kadri keep those two kids on his wing playing at the level that they're playing at while continuing to be the driver that he's been for this team? Geez, it sure looks like he can, right? Can Noah Hannafin keep piecing together? And I know he's a guy that's likely not going to be on the Flames roster a week or 10 days from now, but can he keep piecing together mm-hmm. a career campaign? Well, look look what he's doing. What Jacob Markstrom's got to fall off, right? No, no, it doesn't look like he's going to. And so... I think that's the encouraging part. You can go up and down. Even you look at a guy like Braden Pahal, like there's just not, look what Dryden Hunt's doing. There's no passengers right now. And and that's why there was a word that struck me last night in Ryan Huska's post game. Yes, I, I, I know what word you're going to say. He referred to the style and the success as sustainable. And you know why it's sustainable? And you know what might give them a fighting chance of sustaining it to some level? even without two key defensemen, they just don't have any passengers right now. Yep. That's the part that impresses me. Curious where the text line is on this whole thing and, and how you're feeling about the group right now at 960-960, playing their best high. It's it's crazy. Elias Lindholm moved to Vancouver. And, you know, the initial returns on Lindholm and Vancouver have not been rousing who, as of yet. Who had the, the assist that last night about Jacob Markstrom and Lindholm? I didn't Since see the trade. I didn't see that one, okay. but I did see the um, Jacob Markstrom assists being his his offensive stat line identical to Connor Brown and Edmonton. Zero On goals. The season. Zero goals, yeah. five assists. Markstrom I, and, and Brown neck and neck. Who's gonna score that for that first goal first? I, is Markstrom gonna get that goal first, or will Connor Brown score before Markstrom? I, I'm gonna give credit to our buddy Darren Haynes because usually when there's a great stat on Twitter, I just assume he came up with it. But I think he had uh Markstrom with either the exact same amount or maybe one more assist than Lindholm since the trade. Yeah. Now that that's an anomaly, but the way that this team has 
responded, if you want to call it that, the way that this team has sort of shrugged off, if you want to call it that, the loss of their number one center, their their leading ice time guy at forward, the the fact that they moved a wing into their top line center spot and, and they've kind of rolled along the way they have. We're not talking about a juggernaut. Yeah, Teams like the Calgary Flames that rely on that by-committee approach are not supposed to be able to withstand such a significant loss. And that's why this group deserves a lot of credit. Good point on the text line, by the way. Markstrom's played 11 less games than Brown, so does have a better point per game. That is a good point. It's <laughs> a really good point. Uh, poor Connor Brown. Oof. Hey. No goals and five assists. Exact same line as Jacob Markstrom. And is he making four? Well, what with right, right, right. With that the bonus yeah. and the okay. Let's not complicate things. Now I want to go look, but um, look, I don't know how sustainable the results are. I do think, to your point, that the 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 way that they're playing is difficult. Like let let's let's put that out there. It is hard to play the way the Flames are playing right now. Yeah, when you don't have that one line or those one or two players to boy you when you don't have it. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It, it is a really taxing way to play the sport. You talk to anybody who like, it is a taxing brand of hockey that they are attempting to play right now and are, are not even attempting are playing and, and doing so very well right now in saying that as you get into this final 23 game stretch and the, Final quarter of the season is upon us almost. Yeah, it's 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 going to be difficult to sustain this on a night-in, night-out basis. But these guys play their asses off. These guys are, are doing a nice job of being committed. And so I think that there's a solid chance they do sustain the brand of hockey they're playing. The question is, when trades are made, when subtractions are made, is the sustainability of the way they're playing going to translate to sustainability of results? And thus, is it going to be enough for them to get into the playoffs? And and that's kind of that to, to, to transition the conversation then. Pat and Wes, along with you this hour on Flames Talk, do they have it in them to get in? They're five back. They've got a game in hand on Nashville. The Kings have a game in hand on them. They have zero head-to-heads left with the Predators. They've got two head-to-heads left with L.A. That's an even split on the season series. 4-2 win on Tuesday. 5-2 Kings win on December 23rd. One home, one road against Los Angeles. Do they have it in them to track down one of Nashville or Los Angeles? As of right now, I can't sit here and tell you no. How's that? And and but you, you know what? Had you asked me this question yeah. in January, prior to the All Star break, where they were kind of the, the the frustrating part is is that from the All Star break to where we are now, they haven't made up a lot of ground. They really haven't, just in terms of how far out they are. Right. Well, I I don't think four straight has actually got them closer. It's got them closer to the. First wild card, but not the second because of the way the Nashville Predators are, yeah, are rolling. Exactly. Along. So there's still five back. Yeah. And that's kind of been, they've kind of fluctuated between five and one, one and five. and But for the first time since maybe October of 2022, I my belief in the team is quite high. Yeah. In that I'm not writing them off. I 
did you ask me this question at any point in December or January? I said, no, I don't think they're going. Mm -hmm. I, as, as much as the show is called Flamestock, we want them to go. We'd want them to have a dramatic turnaround and, and sh pr prove, prove any skeptics wrong, but I just didn't see it coming. And, and at the time in December or January, had you asked me, I would have said, no, nah, my, my belief level of them being a playoff team, not, while not completely zero, is not high. So the, the, the most impressed and thus the most I believe that, yeah, maybe they can do this thing since October of 2022 when they came out of the gates like they were shot out of a cannon, uh, shot out of a cannon at 5-1 and one and then 5-2. and two. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be the porcupine at the balloon party to steal one of my favorite Bob Hartley-isms, but, you know, would you bet on them today to be a playoff team? You know, if, if I gave you 100 bucks and said one way or the other, at least, okay, if you gave me 100 bucks, I'm not sure I, I could possibly bet on a team that's about to trade two of their top four defensemen to get into the playoffs when they're facing a five-point deficit. But but in so many ways, Pat, and I, I don't want to steer this conversation off steer course. Steer it wherever you'd like. In so many ways, what we've seen from this group is so encouraging for what it means for the future culture that... I. I'm honestly not sure that it matters what the end result of this season is. Does does it matter to Nazem Kadri and, and Jonathan Huberto and Rasmus Anderson and Connor Zary? Yeah, absolutely. And it should. I talked to Jacob Pelche today. He must have said playoffs 50 times in a five-minute interview. He he really wants to help this Flames team get into the playoffs. And that that's what you want. That's what you know, you want that belief. You you're paying guys like Blake Coleman and Nazem Kadri to show you what it takes to have a team that can be competitive. And, and some of that is the belief that those guys have helped seed in the locker room. Do I think that at the end of April, we're going to be sitting here talking about a first round playoff series based on where they're at today, based on the decisions that are looming. I wouldn't bet on it, but the fact that this team could have been counted out as early as November 1st and is still hanging around. Like, you have to give them so much credit for that. And and again, I know some people want them to lose every game so they can have a chance at a, a better draft pick, but we're not hearing from those people a ton on the text line. I think there's a lot of people who are just, they're enjoying watching this team. They, yeah. You know, they're, they, they appreciate the fact that this group isn't just checking out for the season, and they deserve credit for that. See, and I have more belief that they are going to be able to keep this going and, and keep this interesting between now and the beginning of April. And, and I'd agree with that for sure. This isn't ending early. But my there, there's still that ah, it's, it's, it's a lot to do mm -hmm. to make up the five points to do that in three games, three games, three games without like three games from now. No Hannafin, no Tanev. Like that, that is a, and, and I, I, I got into a couple of arguments with people, not arguments, but just conversations on post game on Tuesday, not to be Debbie Downer because I'm, I'm really not Debbie Downer on this team in any way, shape or form, but you can't tell me that they're not going to like, I believe it was Darren who called in first or second. He's like, nah, they're not even going to feel it when Hannah Finn and Tan ever gone. I'm like, dude, they're going to feel oh it. Oh my God. There is no way that they don't feel yeah. it and that they they're don't get. My, the way I phrased it on Tuesday was 
Losing Hannafin and Tanev is going to hurt. Yeah. And it's going to hurt the team. But the question now is, to what extent can the Flames mitigate how much? And to what extent can they rise above how much it's going to hurt them? They are going to become a less difficult team to play against when those two guys are, are gone, bar none. But it's on the Flames and who's remaining and who they get back to determine how much less. Yeah. And and so can they do what they did, do some quick math, nine years ago when Mark Giordano tore his biceps. Was it biceps or triceps? Bicep tendon. Yeah, when he, so yeah. when he tore that biceps tendon and he was done for the rest of the season. Well, you know what? The old, the old wide dog, Dennis Weidman, stepped up, and Chris Russell played an even bigger role. And, and they went and they claimed David Schlemko on, on, on waivers. And they, they were able to figure it out and still make the playoffs, yeah. despite everybody. They lost their Norris Trophy guy, mm-hmm. and they were fine. Listen. Can they do something similar? I don't know the answer, but I think at the very least, it's fair to give them the opportunity to show us without writing them off. That's kind of where I'm at with this group right now. Yeah, or keep writing them off. You know what? I, I've written them off, I think, a few times. Ne- never in the sense of saying, okay, these guys are officially done, but you know, I've been ready to count this group out several times over, and I suppose what I just finished saying is I'm not quite ready to count them back in, but give them credit. Like they're They're making themselves a hard team to write off. Now, to your point, are they, like are they going to feel the loss of Tanev and Hannafin? Yeah, like that's like asking if Mika Kiprasov's going to be feeling it on Sunday morning. It's the same yeah. way when they lost Geo, that hurt the team. Yeah. They weren't as good a team, but they still got in. The the thing that worries me if that's the right way to put it about losing Hannafin and Tanev is just you're you don't have anyone that you're about to plug in that you're thinking, okay, geez, hey, we've been waiting to get this guy in the lineup. You know, Dennis Dennis Gilbert and, and Jordan Osterley, if you're listening, I mean this as no <laughs> disrespect, but you've been tweeners or seventh defensemen throughout your career for a reason. If that's If that's your third pairing all of a sudden, like if we're talking about the difference between a Tanev and... Hannafin pair and the difference between a Shillington Osterley pair, that's a big drop. And Ilya Solovyov's hurt. And Yan Kuznetsov's only played one NHL game. And Jeremy Poirier has not played since October due to a skate laceration. Like you don't you don't have an Owen Zellweger sitting on your farm team that you're like, we need to create a spot for that. Yeah. And that's what's gonna make that that that's why that's gonna hurt so much. Maybe you can go find another. David Schlemko on waivers. Maybe you can go get the original David Schlemko. I don't know what he's up to these days, but that's why when you look at the drop-off from what you have in those two to what you're going to be plugging in, you know, that's going to impact this fight. The Wide Dog and the Schlemcat is uh, our old morning show was uh, what they uh, what How, they branded those two boys. That shootout move. We'll always, always remember that. Okay, we got to get to the text line because uh, it, it is blowing up. Like it was, there was nothing for the first two or three minutes, and then, brrr, oh my goodness! All okay, right. um, bring so the try heat to get text to, line. Uh, try to get to as many as we can. Also, do you like my onomatopoeia with the? Brrr, that's what the text line sounded like if it were to be a, yeah if it were to be an old uh, stock market board or something. Onomatopoeia. Like that. 
Not bad, eh? <laughs> I know my hey. I know my literary you terms. You are dialed in. Mr. Pentelberry, I know. Okay. Uh, 960, 960 on the text line. Um, I'll read as many of these as we can uh, because there's a lot of them. Uh, can, but- I, can I sit back for a few minutes then? Yeah, I think so. Okay, awesome. Or you can chime in. <laughs> um, this says, in 1314, that team worked hard with their young captain and Mike Camilleri. They played the most one-goal games in the league that year. It helped set them up. For 14-15 the following year, belief, structure, culture. That goes back to something we haven't even got to, Us is what does this mean? Regardless if they are playing past 82 or not, what does this mean for a Connor Zary, yeah. a Martin Pospisil, you know, who, who not Braden Pahal, um, who, by the way, he's played in the playoffs before and was part of the cup run for the Vegas Golden Knights, but, you know, or, or anybody else who comes in. Like, maybe it is... Jeremy Poirier, who at some point is playing games, or maybe Matt Coronado does come out. Whoever the case may be, these guys, it's a younger team and a team that is transitioning to be younger. You know, what does this push mean for the group? A Jacob Pelche. Yeah. What, is, what does it mean for them, whether they make the playoffs or not? And that's exactly what that text is is referring to. You and I, you and I really need to do an entire segment on this. Because I, I think this is a great question. The biggest thing that it, it means for me is that your young players and your future culture setters in the organization are going to experience meaningful games in the NHL in March and potentially April. Yep. And, and I don't think that can be understated. But you and I need to get deeper into this I like one because it's a great topic. Uh, this says it's the most exciting hockey they've played since Gaudreau and Kachuk. Maybe not including Tuesday's game. That's from Sean and Cochran. Yeah, that wasn't the... Um... That was lower event hockey. I'll that, say that, uh, that first period was um, was good for coffee sales, I'm sure. Uh, this says it's a shame Conroy has to inlo- unload two excellent D-men. The only hope is that the guys in the room all know and want the opportunity that Hannafin and Tanev have and look at it with the same next man up approach as an injury. Uh, this says at this point, Playoffs are a crapshoot. I'm just happy to enjoy the way they're playing now. It's fun as a fan to watch, something we didn't get much of last year. This says the Flames need to go 16-7 and in their final 23 to hit 95 points. Doable but difficult, especially losing an entire D pair in the middle of a strong stretch of play, for sure. Um, this says, um, where is this one? Uh, winning culture over high draft picks. This reads, I'm all for building for the future. My problem is, what are the Flames organization going to do to possible future stars? They couldn't even keep Johnny and Matthew. This reads, it's delicious. Uh, Where are we going? This says, um, Jay and Garrison. I must say I'm impressed with the play as well, but with all this great play, there's still six points out, five to tie. How do they ever make up ground? That's very point. uh, That's very clear. uh, Very true, rather. Um, This says... Fellas, even if the Flames don't make the playoffs this year, it's exciting for the future going forward. And if they do, it'll be exciting to see this team play in the playoffs the way they're playing right now. This pretty par for the course for this franchise. Play well enough to be competitive. Just miss the playoffs. Be middling forever and ever. Hard to watch the same mediocre stuff unfold year after year. Okay. Um, And finally, Joey in Northwest Calgary, after the top six teams, tell me what team other than the Flames have worked as hard as they have. They're going to make the playoffs, even if they have to squeak in their last game. Good stuff. 960-960 on the text line. Patton West underway this hour on Flames Talk. Oh, and by the way, throughout all of this, 
Ah, you know, the trade deadline is nine days away. That, that is also um, looming over this entire thing. Friday, March 8th is our trade deadline coverage on Sportsnet 960. The Fan brought to you wall to wall by our four great sponsors that day, including All Kind Door Services Limited, your go to service company for the last 35 years, offering 24 hour emergency service for all your door repairs. Anything that swings, slides, or rolls, visit allkinddoorservices.com. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. Steinberg and Wes along with you this hour. And now Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames, to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Uh, first part of this hour, Wilsey, just talking about this this run for the Flames and a uh, post All Star break, seven and three in the month of February, and you know whether you go back to October of 2022 or for me you go all the way back to you know the spring of 2022. Like for me, it's been almost two years since I can remember the Flames playing hockey consistently and at this high a level, and and it's been a really impressive month of February. So, I asked the question, because now the Flames, after their win Tuesday over the LA Kings to make it four in a row, don't play again until Saturday on Mika Kippersoff night when they host the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that is Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off, four days between games. Bad thing? Is it a bad thing because that throws off momentum? Or good thing because it's February, we're nearing the end of the third quarter of the season, and this group could use the rest. How do you look at it? Well, I guess we'll find out on Saturday night. I mean, I think it's actually a little bit of both. I think they could use the rest physically and mentally, but I also think that uh, they're playing their best hockey of the season, probably their best hockey in two seasons. And you can see they're playing with a lot of confidence that uh, they've picked up a lot of momentum and, and they're feeling really good about themselves as they should be. And you could actually see the energy at practice when the team was on the ice at Winsport today. They were absolutely flying out there. Uh, And I always think, hey, if you practice fast, you're probably going to play fast. And that's one of the things that jumped out to me uh, on Tuesday night is how fast the Flames were playing. And they've been practicing faster of late. So, you know, it's a a group that I think has, for the most part, been better since that nine-day break between games. Physically and mentally, I think they really needed that break uh, for uh, a physical and mental reset. And they've played pretty good hockey since then. So, I think it's bad in the sense that uh, with how well they're playing and how good they're feeling about themselves, they'd probably like to be back on the ice playing tomorrow night. But uh, a little R&R in the middle of the stretch run probably isn't going to be the worst thing in the world for them either. If they can get off to a good start in Saturday's game against the Penguins, which I think is going to be easier said than done. The Penguins are playing some pretty desperate hockey right now. There's going to be a lengthy pregame ceremony for Mika Kiprasov. So hopefully that uh, doesn't slow the Flames down uh, because starts have been a strength of theirs of late. But if they can get off to a good start, then I think they can look at this three-day break between games as only a good thing. But if they don't come up flying like they have been, then uh, maybe they have lost some momentum. But we'll have to wait and to, to see what they look like on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to maintain the momentum through a, a little bit of a breather or not. But I'll say this, guys. I think it becomes a really good 
test of that sustainability that they've been talking about. I think it becomes a, a really good test of how proud they've been of their game during this four-game win streak, especially, but even going back to coming out of the All-Star break and the bye seven and three, as we've been talking about in the past segment, like this, this is a good test. If you can't maintain that momentum for three days between games, I think it's a little bit more of a, a knock on that sort of sustainability that you've been talking about. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, if they come out and, and don't deliver a strong performance against the Penguins, that it's all for naught in this past four. But for me, you know, if you if you feel like the group is really rolling, if you feel like you don't have any passengers, if you feel like that sort of edge that you're playing with and, and the strong starts and everything that's gone into this little stretch they've been on, like if if you feel like that is sustainable, a three day break shouldn't matter. Yeah. So I was worried of like, oh, momentum. That, uh, yeah, that's gonna be tough. Like they're on this roll. They've and then I spoke to Michael Backlund on on Tuesday after on Wednesday after practice, and uh, we were just talking about Mika Kiprasov. And before we started, he was like, "Oh, we need this break." Like he basically was like, "We are gassed. Like it has been a lot of hockey, and it has been drinking out of out of a fire hose since the All Star break." So what I when I heard and and when I when when Michael Backlund said that like before he was, "Hey, how you doing, Backs?" I just like, oh. Glad that we got a break. I was like looking forward to Saturday. He's like, yeah, I am, but looking forward to the next few days just to get right physically and all that type of stuff. So, okay, that that was all I needed to hear. Um, you know, the captain of the team is like, we need this break. Uh, it, it feels like they probably need the break. And they're, they're also playing some really good hockey, so you probably have a little more confidence going into a break about being able to pick up where you left off or close-ish come Saturday night. But, I mean, you think about it, guys. They're, they're 59 games in now, and there's 23 games to go. Yeah, they had their week off for the All-Star break and, and the, the CBA break, but, you know, this is we're, – we're right up on it. Like, this is kind of the dog day stretch right now because – after the deadline, it's kind of that the official stretch drive mark and the adrenaline picks up. But, you know, now, now you've had the all-star break. It's kind of that that stretch between all-star and trade deadline. Like, you talk to guys, this is dog days territory. And the dog days, if it weighs on us, we're not physically getting abused the way these guys are. And so, yeah, I I think the more I thought about it, and especially hearing from Michael today, yeah, I think this break, uh, this this break might be well timed for him. Well, if I knew what Michael Backlund told you, I probably would have answered the question differently. <laughs> but uh, we should have had backs on sense. the round table. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Kick me I asked off, Ryan Huska about it after practice today, and kind of asked him like, "Okay, you've got momentum right now, but you got a three day break between games. There was a lot of energy at practice today. Uh, how do you maintain that?" and so while we practice today, the guys are going to have Thursday off, and basically that gives them a day and a half off. So they'll practice on Friday, they'll have a morning skate, and they'll play on Saturday. So I think the coaches have done a really good job this season keeping their finger on the pulse of how the players are feeling. So obviously the coaches thought that the guys needed a bit of a breather here. So it works out well. you got three days between games, and something else that could be a factor, because I know that uh, – some guys will admit it, other guys won't, uh, and it's all about we got to take care of our own business, which is true. 
But uh, I know that there are coaches and players who are keeping a very close eye on the out-of-town scoreboard. So right now the Flames are five points behind the two wildcard teams, the Kings and the Predators, and then one point ahead of the Blues and the Wild who are nipping at their heels and a couple of points ahead of the Kraken. So the Blues play tonight. Uh, tomorrow there are a bunch of games. You've got uh, the Cowdies are probably uh, out of it, but uh, they would probably tell you they think they're still in the playoff race. The Wild and the Predators play each other. Uh, the Kraken play. And then on Friday, uh, really no games of conf- consequence outside of the Coyotes playing. So uh, it depends what happens in the out-of-town scoreboard. If the Flames don't fall any further behind than they are right now, then that will probably give them a shot into the arm going into Saturday's game as well. But, you know, they're playing their best hockey of the season right now. And will they lose a little bit of momentum between now and Saturday? Maybe, maybe not. But what they shouldn't lose between now and that game against the Penguins is the confidence that uh, I'm sure they picked up during this fantastic four-game stretch. I just think that group's going to come out like a house on fire, too, on on Saturday after the Mika Kippersoft ceremony. And I know those can drag on for the players. I, I know that really can mess up your routine, but I think the Saddle Dome is going to be rocking like we haven't heard it in a while on Saturday, and I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to see another strong start and another strong performance from the Flames. By the way, uh, 6.20 p.m. is when the ceremony begins on Saturday night. I'll I'll try to put this out there as many times as possible just so it's drilled in for everybody. 6.20 p.m. is when the Mika Kippersoft jersey retirement ceremony begins. It's slated for somewhere in the the 40 to 50 minute range, I believe. Um, So do do it 6.20 until somewhere in the seven o'clock hour then they'll reset the ice the two teams will come up for warm-up come out for warm-up at 7 31 p.m and then puck drop for 8 10 as per usual um doors at 5 30 p.m on saturday and for those interested where you can listen and watch uh of course you'll be able to listen to it it's in its entirety as part of our flames warm-up pregame show starting at six o'clock on saturday here on sportsnet 960 the fan so you'll be able to listen to it in its entirety the game itself is coast-to-coast on Sportsnet West and CBC just after 8 o'clock. The ceremony on Sportsnet 360. So 6.20 p.m., Sportsnet 360 for the Kippersoft jersey retirement. You will be able to see it. You will be able to listen to it. And we'll make sure we podcast the entire thing for you as well on our Flames Talk podcast feed. Okay, Daily Flames Roundtable. It's Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg along with you. Looked like Jacob Pelche was the 13th forward at practice. Although Although, tough to tell. Like, he was definitely the one who was rotating through on the fourth line with Kuzmenko, Rooney, and Dewar. We know they're working Kuzmenko back in after he's missed the last two games with illness, and we expect him to return to action on Saturday. And I don't know. We'll see how practice goes on Friday. We'll see how morning skate goes on Saturday and whether or not Jacob is the 13th forward or not and the odd man out. But would, would that be who you would be taking out to get Kuzmenko back in? Or how would you bring Oof. Kuzmenko back in, I guess, would be the overarching question. It's a great question because I'm not sure I, I feel strongly one way or another. Uh, I mean, I think you got to get Andre Kuzmenko back in if uh, he's feeling 100%. Uh, and basically, you've got a week between games for him to get back to 100%. So uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't by Saturday night. Where do you play him is another question mark. And I, I asked that question because 
that could depend uh, or really decide who stays in and who comes out. So if you plan to put him back on a line with Diego Sharon Govich and Jonathan Huberdeau, then that bumps Dryden Hunt down because I don't know about you guys, he ain't coming out. He's playing fantastic right now, uh, but that would bump him down to the fourth line. And then you have to make a decision between three guys. I think another option, at least short-term, I wouldn't do this long-term, but short-term, is to try Andre Kuzmenko on the right side of the fourth line and then use him on your power play. So you you cut back on his five-on-five ice time, but you still have him on the power play, and and maybe that can help him build his offensive confidence a little bit, and at some point in time, you're probably going to have to move him into the top nine. So I think that's one option, but if you are going to play Kuzmenko with Sharon Govich and Huberto, then Hunt's got to stay in. So I would probably put him on the left side of the fourth line. Kevin Rooney's got to stay in because he's been your best best fourth-line centerman this season. And then I'm probably leaving Walker Dewar on the right side of that line uh, just because that's not Jacob Peltier's side. So uh, short-term, I don't mind him watching a game or two from the press box, but he's a young developing player. I wouldn't want that to be a long-term thing. But for Saturday night, for me, it's between him and Walker Dewar, and it really depends on where they want to play Andre Kuzmenko. Do you want to play him on the, the first line or the fourth line? This is easy for me to probably say because I'm not the one managing the the personalities and everything in an NHL locker room, but I'd be going to Andre Kuzmenko and saying, hey, listen, we hope you're feeling better. We're happy to have you back at, at full strength, but you know this team's won four in a row, including two without you, and and we're going to stick with our lineup. And part of the reason I'm doing that, guys, is I think he's a really awkward fit for a fourth-line role. Yes, does it get him back in your lineup so he Mm -hmm. can be on your top power play? Absolutely. And is that something, you know, is that somewhere you could use that shot in the arm? Yes, but I'm probably going to him and asking him to sit out one more because Dryden Hunt has made a couple of terrific plays. Not only has he just been solid overall, but he scores the game-winning goal in Edmonton on Saturday night, and then last night makes just a a play we're not talking about enough on the wall to spring Yegor Sharangovich for what turns out to be. So he's been, he's been a huge factor on your last two game-winning goals. Not only are you not taking him out, but you're leaving him on that line. At least I'm leaving him on that line with Huberto and Sharangovich. And so you know, I don't love scratching either of Kuzmenko or, or Pelche. Pelche is a guy that you want to get his feet under him. You want to build some confidence within him, even if that's in a fourth-line role. Kuzmenko is a guy who's still getting implemented in your system. I, I don't love leaving him out, but if it were up to me for Saturday, especially because Walker Dewar is, is really doing what you've been asking of him lately, I'm probably telling Kuzmenko to just hang tight for one more game because we're rolling and we don't have a spot for you. Oh, I didn't even consider that. And Wes has just convinced me that, cause I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess with things either. Wilsey, you were talking about uh, after, after the game on Tuesday night, how that line, the, the Rooney line, the fourth line went out and, um, and then kind of set the table for, they they had a really good that was an awful third period power play let's let's lay all cards out that that Yuck. could have been an absolute momentum killer and i was worried the kings were going to win in regulation after how bad that third period power play was 
fourth line goes out there and has a really good, solid shift. And and Wilsey, I'm, I'm stealing it right from you, set the table for for the goal that Sharon Govich scores the eventual game winner. So for me, and I thought Jacob Pelche had himself a, a strong game. He had lots of shot attempts, a couple scoring opportunities. I thought it was actually the most noticeable that we've seen Pelche since his return. And I, this guy's working his way back. This guy is somebody that everybody had as part of the opening day lineup prior to the shoulder injury. So I want to keep feeding him minutes. Yeah, I, I might, at this point, as much as Kuzmenko is a guy that you brought in in a big trade and he does help your power play, there's no doubt about that, I might... Uh, I might punt another game as well. I think I think Wes just convinced me, and I wasn't even thinking about it until Wes went down that road. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I just I think about how much noise there was when I tweeted, and I don't know if both of you did. I think you did, Pat, about Andre Kuzmenko being the odd man out. And I didn't say it was because he was healthy or unhealthy. I just said it looks like he's the odd man out at practice uh, a few days ago and that kind of blew up and I think the flames have gone out of their way to, to let us know. And, and in turn media and fans know that, you know, he wasn't a hundred percent and that's why he was the odd man out. So to, to Wes's point, it's one of those situations I do think you have to manage both inside and outside of the dressing room. And, and he was the biggest piece, at least at this point in time that came back in that trade for Elias Lindholm. And I do think your power play could use him. The question is, where does he fit in five on five? Do you want a guy in your lineup who you feel like maybe you can't play in a close game in the third period? Because that's kind of what's happened with him uh, in his last two games. And then he misses two games and they win both of them. And the Flames are playing their best hockey of the season right now. I don't think that there's a right answer or a wrong answer. And I don't think that there's an easy answer here for the Flames. But... uh, Sometimes you also have to to factor in a a player's personality. And I hate saying this because I don't think that Jacob Peltier should be penalized for having the great personality that he does. But some guys might handle being a healthy scratch better than other guys. And and I do think that that uh, can become a factor for coaches, fair or unfair. I, I do think you have to manage the personalities inside of your dressing room. So We'll have to wait and see what they do. Uh, here's the easy way out. If Andre Kuzmenko is not 100% on Saturday, then I think you can sit him down for another game. But what happens if you beat the Penguins on Saturday? They in, then sit him down for a fourth straight game? Might be a little bit harder to justify that uh, because he's not 100% at that point in time. So slippery slope. I think the fourth line has done its job uh, with and without Jacob Pelche. Um could it be as effective with Andre Kuzmenko? I'm not convinced of that. But I also think that if you insert him in your lineup, he's going to help your power play, which I think the Flames are going to need down the stretch. So, again, no easy answer for me, fellas. Thank you, Wilsey. We'll do it again on a Thursday roundtable. Talk to you then, hey? Okay. Have a good night, everybody. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flamestock. Thanks to Shan and Cam, our outstanding producers. And that'll wrap us up on the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.